I'm Michael Flake, one of the pastors here. If you were here last week, you may remember that I wore this hat because I used to be a missions pastor. Before I helped start this church, I was a missions pastor, and I would always wear this hat on a mission trip. It was unclear why, but I always would. And I would give each mission team a Gumby because when you're on God's mission, you have to learn to be flexible. And so I remind us of this simply because our church family is on God's mission. And this summer, one of the things we are learning is that we have to be flexible. So a couple of weeks ago, they took the portable buildings from over there and they dumped them in the parking lot. Then this week we come back and they're putting a new water main on uh, the street. So most of the on, half the on-street parking is gone. So we're excited to see what they're going to do next week. Uh, a lot of excitement. We are learning to be flexible as we are on God's mission together. Whatever happens different next week, we will be ready for it. We are being flexible. But thank you to those of you who are parking in whether the Greenway lot or the baseball field lot or the temple lot. The temple doesn't have any Sunday activities this summer, and so we can park in different places as well so that when a newer person shows up, there will be a clear spot in the Davis Elementary School parking lot for them. And then they'll hear this little speech, then they'll start parking remotely, and then, you know, it, and it perpetuates on and on and on. So all that to say, happy Father's Day <laughs> to the father and the father figures in our lives. Happy Father's Day. Lake Forest Davidson is a place where whether you're cautious about Jesus, curious about Jesus, or committed to Jesus, that there is room for you here. This is a safe place for you to learn, to grow, and to change. So long as you don't have it all together, you'll fit right in. As we look to the center of these circles, we ask ourselves, what is it that's at the center of my life? What is the person, the goal, the thing, the idea that everything else in my life is revolving around? Because Jesus says He wants to be in the center of our lives. And if we ever invite Him there, that we'll experience real life, both abundant life on earth and everlasting life after earth. So we want to keep unpacking that a little bit today by starting a new series of sermons on the biblical book called Proverbs. Proverbs is a book in the Old Testament and its chief focus is wisdom. So we're calling this series A Word to the Wise. To get into it, I want to recall a movie from a few years back. The name of the movie was The Truman Show. Did you ever see this movie? I did not. No, actually, I did. One of the few movies I've ever seen. So I'm going to allude to it now. So it was about a guy named Truman, and he was on a show, correct. In fact, it was a reality TV show. His entire life was a reality TV show, and he did not know that, but everybody else knew that. And then one day, the most interesting thing happened to Truman. As he was out sailing in the ocean, his boat hit the edge of the set, actually went through the edge of the set. And it's the transformative moment in the movie when he realizes that his whole life he has lived in this little contained dome, but there is this great big wild world outside of those walls. And I think the transformative moment in our life actually works somewhat similarly to that, where we run into some limit and we realize that we have lived our lives in this nice little contained safe dome where we feel in control, and there is this great big wild world outside of it, and what are we going to do about that? 
I'll unpack that as the sermon goes on. As I said, we're starting a series on the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is an Old Testament book. The primary point of Proverbs is that you would gain wisdom, that you would live wisely, that you would live well. There are 31 chapters in Proverbs. So if, for instance, you wanted to get the next level of meaning out of this series, more than just what we talk about on Sunday mornings, you could say, I'm going to read a chapter of Proverbs every day, and it would take you a month to finish it. And this is about a seven or eight week series, so you could probably do that twice if you wanted to throughout the, throughout the series itself. But what if you did that, if you read a proverb, a chapter of Proverbs a day, and they're pretty easy to read, if you read a chapter of Proverbs a day, you would be soaking yourself in wisdom upon wisdom upon wisdom upon wisdom from the pages of the Bible. And if you do not have a Bible, you are always free to take the one in the chair as a gift from the church. We would love you to have it. And you open to about the middle, and that's where Proverbs is. A number of different ancient people contributed to the book of Proverbs, but the main contributor was a guy named King Solomon. Solomon was one of the kings who led God's people in the Old Testament. Solomon's wisdom was God-given. We learn in 2 Chronicles 1, that night God appeared to Solomon. He appeared to Solomon in a dream. That night God appeared to Solomon and said to him, ask for whatever you want me to give you. Solomon answered God, you have shown great kindness to David my father and have made me king in his place. Now, Lord God, let your promise to my father David be confirmed, for you have made me king over a people who are as numerous as the dust of the earth. Give me wisdom and knowledge that I may lead this people, for who is able to govern this great people of yours? God said to Solomon, Since this is your heart's desire, and you have not asked for wealth, possessions, or honor, nor for the death of your enemies, and since you have not asked for a long life, but for wisdom and knowledge to govern my people over whom I have made you king, therefore wisdom and knowledge will be given you. And I will also give you wealth, possessions, and honor, such as no king who was before you ever had and none after you will have. And so then Solomon desires to share this wisdom with future generations, and so he begins to write down these Proverbs. The Proverbs are sort of like the original tweets. They're not very long, any of them. They're these quick hundred-something character, uh, bits of wisdom, nuggets of wisdom about all kinds of different areas. When you read the Proverbs, they kind of seem disjointed from one another, and in large part, they are. It's just, here's a nugget of wisdom, here's a nugget of wisdom, here's a bit of wisdom, here's my little tweet of wisdom. That's how the Proverbs read. Now, if I learned anything in college, I learned that you should skim, read carefully the first few pages and this would allow you to skim the rest of the material. So what you do is you read the first few pages very carefully. You get the gist of where it's going. You think of one astute comment to make in class, and then you skim the rest of it. I'm giving away my secrets here. Now, I'm not advocating skimming the Bible, but it, but it kind of works the same way, which is to say that the start of a biblical book or the end of a biblical book is extremely important because it is saying where the book is about to go or where the book has been. And so if you read the beginning or the end, you get a sense of where this whole thing is going. 
Joe read, from us, er, read for us earlier from the beginning of the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs begins this way, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction and prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Throughout the book of Proverbs, you'll notice that Solomon and the other writers often write in these little couplets. They'll say one line, and then they'll say a second line that sounds almost like the first line. The same concept, just restated. And at first you'll think, are they insulting my intelligence? Do they think I'm not getting it? But the truth is, this is how Hebrew, they wrote in Hebrew, this is how Hebrew poetry largely works. That you state something, and then in the second line, the couplet, you state kind of the same thing, but just a little bit differently. So to get the meaning of what's being written, you kind of play the two lines off of each other. So it continues. Let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So the whole book of Proverbs is about gaining wisdom, becoming wise, living wisely, living well. And so according to chapter 1 of Proverbs, we're only a few verses into the book at this point, we learn step number one for becoming wise, step number one for living well, step number one for living wisely. Step number one is fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Now, in case you missed it there, we see the same thing later on in Proverbs 9, chapter 9, verse 10. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So, in other words, in case you missed it, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That true knowledge, true understanding begins in beginning to understand the holy God who created this world, beginning to know and understand the holy God who created you. So it's one thing to say step one towards wisdom, step one towards living well, living wisely, is to fear the Lord. That's one thing, but this would bring on a very logical follow-on question. Okay, what does it mean to fear the Lord? Right, because, I mean, I know some people who are deathly afraid of God, and that, they don't seem to live well, and they don't seem to be very wise. Plus, I thought we were supposed to love God, not fear God. Like, what's this whole thing about fear the Lord? So we need to unpack this and kind of understand the bigger uh, set of meanings there when, when Solomon writes to fear the Lord, and that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I don't know about you, but a few times in my life, I have lived in places where I was afraid to walk home after dark. It wasn't like a debilitating fear. It wasn't like I wouldn't leave the house. It wasn't a paralyzing fear. Uh, you know, I went and did things and had fun or whatever. But when you just surveyed the situation, you thought, Nothing good is going to happen if I'm walking home after dark. So you know what I did? I did not walk home after dark. 
I arranged the things that I wanted to do and how I did them in such a way that I would not be walking home after dark. I understood the situation for what it was. I realized that the situation wasn't going to change, so I needed to change to fit the situation. And in large part, that's what is meant by the fear of the Lord. To fear the Lord, in Solomon is writing, means to relate rightly to God, to understand God, that God is going to change me. I'm not going to change God, right? God's not going to be so won over by what I did that He's going to, oh man, I should have thought of that first. Right? God's going to change me. I'm not going to change God. So I understand God for who God is. I gain knowledge of who God is, and I act accordingly. In other words, I relate rightly to God. Solomon is not saying that you and I should be terrified of God, but we do need to have a proper understanding of God and of how majestic God is, especially when you compare God to little old us. So wisdom, in other words, begins in that Truman Show moment. Wisdom begins in that moment where you and I hit our limitations. The moments where we are in situations and we realize that we cannot be and we cannot do everything that we need to be and everything that we need to do. Or we find ourselves faced with a dilemma or faced with an ethical or moral or intellectual question and we realize that our human reason, as powerful as it is, cannot understand everything. We need guidance in this that is more profound than anything we can drum up. We hit our limitations, the limitations of our abilities, the limitations of our own reasoning skills. We hit our limits, and we realize we've been living in this nice little controlled dome where we feel totally in control. But there's a great big wild world out there, and what are we going to do about it? And Proverbs 15.33 says that wisdom's instruction is to fear the Lord, and humility comes before honor. Wisdom's instruction is to fear the Lord, and humility comes before honor. So what does Solomon mean when he writes, fear the Lord? He's talking about humbling ourselves before God. It's not about getting God to try to recognize how great we are and honor us. It is about humbling ourselves before God, that when we hit the wall, when we realize how limited we are, when we realize that we cannot be and do and solve all that we need to be and all that we need to do and all that we need to solve, we are at a transformative moment, a moment where we can hold on to the belief that I'm what's most important and I'm going to get me through this, or we can decide to give that up and say, God is what's most important. God is going to get me through this. We can decide to to try to be honored for our limited abilities, or we can compare those to God's abilities and realize how majestic and awe-inspiring God is, how majestic and awe-inspiring the creator of the world, the sustainer of your life, the sustainer of my life, how majestic and awe-inspiring He is, and we can decide that we need God to be the central thing in life. It's that moment where you and I decide that we need to turn over control to God. We we need to let God mold us. As we begin to know and understand more of who God is, we need to let God 
mold us. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to Him, and He will make your paths straight. Now, some folks object to this verse and says, wait a minute, I can't lean on my own understanding? Like, I, I can't uh, trust my own understanding? Like, I can't decide between the number seven and the number eight combos at Taco Bell until God has clearly revealed this to me? So I just stand there and wait for God to say, which one should I order today, God? Seven or eight? No, that's not what this is saying at all right? You don't need to have a prayer service to order at the Taco Bell. You could take care of that one just fine. Though sometimes you have time for a prayer service when ordering at the Taco Bell. And we're going to go find this out after the service today. That's where my Father's Day meal is. I'm very excited about that. I may be the only one there at the meal, but there you go. The question in all this is not so much about the lean on your own understanding verse. The question, the point of this passage is the very first verse. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. That's the lead in. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. So the question at the core of this passage is, is the Lord trustworthy? Is the Lord trustworthy? Can the Lord be trusted? Do you know God well enough to know the answer to that question? Can the Lord be trusted? Or do you know somebody who knows God well enough that they can help you answer that question? Is the Lord trustworthy? Does your life depend on Him or on you? Does my life depend upon Him or on me? Can I put the full weight of my life on His insights or on my insights? On which path are we going to walk? Are we going to walk on God's path or are we going to walk on your path? Are we going to do things your way or are we going to do things God's way? This is what the passage is getting at. Can your life, can my life be fully supported by our limited abilities and our limited intellect? Or do we need something more? Do we need something more as our secure foundation on which to build a life? So Proverbs says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to Him and He will make your paths straight. I'm struck by the repetition of the word all, all your heart, all your ways. What do you suppose is included in the word all? Am I going to treat my spouse my way or God's way? Am I going to raise my kids my way or God's way? Am I going to view this issue my way or God's way? Am I going to do my work or work at my studies my way or God's way? Am I going to treat my neighbor my way or God's way? Am I going to use my money my way or God's way? Am I going to use my time my way or God's way? Am I going to think about my church family my way or God's way? I could keep going, but I think you kind of get the, the point. The most helpful illustration I've ever heard on this is think about your life as a house. Think about your life as a house. Now, with how much time some of us spend on Zillow and Trulia, this should not be very difficult. 
Imagine your life as a house and all the features you wish you had in your house. Imagine your life as a house. Letting God into the house, welcoming Jesus into the house, is the transformational moment that moves you from death to life, that makes you a new creation. When you invite Christ, come into this house, come into my life. But that is only the beginning, it is not the end. Because once we let Christ into our lives, when we do so, we typically say, and here's the entryway, and we'd love, love for you to enjoy the entryway, a couple snacks in the fridge if you need them. But there are clearly rooms in the house where we do not want God to venture. And there's a room on the back we haven't even told him about. There are places where we just don't want God to go because we're going to keep doing those parts of our lives our way. And then sometimes we put a double bolt on a couple doors just in case God gets a little too curious. And then some doors have padlocks on them like, we do not want you to go in that part of our life at all. Please stay in the entryway. And Proverbs is saying, that's not how it works. Let God into every room of your life. Let God into every part of your life. Let God rearrange some things. Let God redecorate some things. Let God clear out some clutter. Let God throw away some junk. Let God bring in some new stuff. Give God the master key to the house so that God can roam freely, so that God can do His work freely. In all your ways, humble yourself before Him. God is the one who makes crooked paths straight. And that's a good thing. And it can sometimes be a painful thing. Proverbs 17.3 says, The crucible for silver and the furnace for gold. But the Lord tests the heart. Proverbs 16.2 says, All a person's ways seem pure to them. But motives are weighed by the Lord. In other words, as God moves in and out of the different rooms in our life, in your life, in my life, as God is sort of moving in and out, He may start asking some questions like, is this really the way you should be doing that? Now, He may not speak to you out loud, although He might. But generally, it comes as a deep tug in our heart or in our soul as we're reading the Scripture, as we're being taught the Bible, or as a trusted Christian friend comes and says something to us or asks us a question or reflects to us something we may not have realized. Proverbs points out, you and I are generally okay with how we are doing things. So long as it works, what's the big deal? And yet God sees things differently. And God may start to ask questions. God may start to ask, is that the way you should conduct your business? Or is that the way you should treat that person? Or is that the way you should be spending your time and money? Or does that really honor your spouse? Or do, do you see any good potential outcome from what you're about to do? God starts to poke around a little bit. God starts to ask some hard questions. We need this. It's a good thing, but the Bible says it's like a crucible. I don't know if you remember high school English or not, or if some of us have not been in high school English yet, 
A crucible is a play by Arthur Miller that you will probably read in high school English. A crucible is a device that uses heat and pressure to refine precious metals. I think the play is about Puritan New England or something. I, it's lost on me what it, how they relate, but I'm sure it's an important thing to know for the test. But an actual crucible is something that uses heat and pressure to purify precious metals. And the way it does it is it generally burns away all the impurities. It burns away through pressure and heat the bad parts. And so it makes the precious metal even more beautiful, even more precious. The Bible is saying this is kind of what happens when we trust our lives into God's hands. This is sort of what happens when we trust all areas of life to God's leadership, that God is like the crucible. God is like the furnace. And when our lives are exposed to God, when areas of our lives are exposed to God's way, that God will purify and refine the good parts. God will make the good parts even better. But typically how God does this is by separating out, stripping away all of the bad parts to which we're clinging just a little too tightly. That's not always fun. It's not always easy, but it's always good. Because again, the, the, the root question in all this is, is the Lord trustworthy? Can the Lord be trusted with my life? Can the Lord be trusted with my life? Can I put my life into His hands? Is the Lord trustworthy? We must decide how we're going to relate to God. In fact, Proverbs would say that's the primary question that drives our existence. How will we relate to God? Solomon calls it fearing the Lord, but other places it's called humbling yourself before the Lord or trusting the Lord is step one towards gaining wisdom, living well, living wisely. How we relate to God affects how we live our lives. It also, and this is the point I want to end with, it affects the legacy that you and I can leave. Proverbs 15, 16 says, Better a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. Better a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. Proverbs 14, 26, whoever fears the Lord has a secure fortress, and for their children it will be a refuge. I love those little Proverbs. When you read the book of Proverbs, sometimes you'll come across ones and be like, what? Or, okay. And then there are some you will just say, I love that. These are a couple that I just love that God recenters our definition of success. What does it mean to live your life well? It's not in what you accumulate, it's in what you do with God. Do or don't you invite God into your life? Do or don't we invite God into every area of our lives? 
to fear the Lord, to humble ourselves before the Lord, to trust the Lord can be the source of our ultimate security. But the last proverb points out not just your ultimate security, not just my ultimate security, it can be a security that you and I pass from generation to generation. It can, in fact, be the legacy that we leave to people who come after us, whether that be our children or whether that be people who are younger in the Christian faith than we are or just people generally, uh, you know, the, the zeros the fives that are down in the media center right now. We can leave the legacy of saying, the Lord is trustworthy. The Lord is good. Even though the crucible moments can be hard, even though the crucible moments are not fun, even though we would not ask the crucible moments onto ourselves or, or, or people that we love, but, but the Lord is trustworthy. And so we say to our sons and our daughters and those who are younger in the faith than we are and and those who are growing up uh, in our church family, we say to them, dear son, dear daughter, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to Him. He is the one who makes paths straight. So my wrap-up as I sort of conclude is to ask you to reflect on this question. Is there a door, back to the house metaphor, not a literal door, is there a door that you have not opened to God and God's way? And what is your major reason or what are your major reasons for not doing so? For you, it may be a door within your life. It may be a door to an area of your life, and you have sort of double padlocked it and said, no need to go in there, God. I got that room totally figured out. It's tough to play poker with God, by the way, because He knows the cards you're holding. Okay. Maybe for you, it's just the front door of your life. Generally, you've never welcomed Christ into your life. You've tried to live life your own way, but you are approaching that Truman Show moment in which you realize, I live in this little self-contained dome where I feel in control, and there's a great big wild world out there. Give up control of your dome and join God's larger story by opening up the front door of your life, welcoming Christ into it. But my question for you is sort of, and I don't mean this as an accusation, I mean it as a fact-finding mission. What's the reason we haven't opened this door? I mean, just be honest with yourself. Just be honest with God. Are you afraid of something? Have you just never thought about it? it, Do you know it's not going to be easy? Why have we not opened the door? Not as an accusation, just as dealing in reality. Let's just deal in reality. What is it? The question Proverbs would ask you to consider is, is the Lord trustworthy? Is the Lord trustworthy? So this week, someone, or a few weeks ago, someone sent me an article um, from the Observer, and it was about someone who um, uh, went into cardiac arrest, who, who died while running a 5K. And the person behind them was a cardiac nurse. 
and actually did administered CPR and, and uh, kept the person close enough to alive that when the medics came, they were actually able to revive, revive the man. It's such that when he got to the hospital, he was actually joking. He asked if he won the race. Well, then he goes to his cardiac rehab, and the, the head nurse at the rehab is the lady who saved his life. And she says, you know, she had never run a 5K before, and so once the pack kind of cleared out, she decided to keep um, him a, as like her pace setter. If I can just keep up with that guy, I'll be okay. And a couple miles in, he falls over dead in, a, in the grass. And she revives him, keeps him enough alive. So uh, he uh, comes to her and says, thank you. And she says, well, actually, you know, God orchestrated all that, so you can thank God. He said, you know, I've, I've thought a lot about all that, and I don't really believe in God, so I'm just going to thank you. And they had the, that was what the article was about. It was about ha what happened in that moment. Because their perception of what happened was totally different. He thought, well, I'm running in a 5K sponsored by a hospital. There's, uh, the odds that there's going to be a nurse somewhere in the crew is pretty high. And her perception is, I, didn't random, I thought I randomly picked a person to keep pace with. But here's my point. Here's where I'm getting at with all this. The person who sent me the article, her, her uh, insight was, uh, one of the insights she had was, isn't it interesting the person who knew more about the situation was more likely to see God's hand in it? That the, the person trained in cardiac medicine not only knew what she knew about cardiac medicine, but knew what she didn't know about cardiac medicine. Through gaining knowledge, she actually saw her own limitations more clearly. And her limitations forced her to not depend on her own understanding, but to trust in the Lord with all her heart. I just thought it was interesting. Two smart people, one wise person. A lot of smart people where we live. A lot of smart people. But the Lord wants us to be wise. Let's pray together. Let me give you a chance to talk to God about whatever it is He's stirring in your heart or in your mind. I don't know where the Proverbs and the message today impacts you, but wherever it does, just talk to God about it. I've got to turn my mic on. Lord, I thank You that You have not left us to our own devices. 
Thank you that you're active in the world, that you desire to know us, and you desire us to know you. So, Lord, we cling so tightly to control of things. We cling so tightly to some things that are actually really bad for us. Bad for our families, bad for the people we love. So I pray that we might open doors to you today. That during this time of prayer and these songs that follow, that we would open doors to you and invite you into parts of our lives where we have been hesitant to invite you so that you might redecorate and rearrange and throw out some junk and bring in some new stuff that will look far better. Lord, I pray for those of us who the real door we need to open to you is the front door, the door of our lives altogether. And we need to say, I cannot live on my own anymore. I, I, I need to give up control of my little dome and find my place in God's larger story. So I open the front door of my life and I follow Jesus. We offer this prayer in His name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand. Let's worship God with our voices, our offering, and our prayer requests.